Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCoy, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fine. Yeah, I think I'm fine. Have you had a lovely time between the recording of the last episode and this one? Um, yes, yes, I have. It's been, um, it's been fun-packed. Excellent. Well, fun packed is the most we could possibly hope for. Yeah. Good. Well, this week we are going to be putting aside our usual track by track approach and we will be covering the second album in its entirety. So that means this episode we are talking about with the Beatles. So we've done everything. We've covered every track and now it's time to talk about the whole package and then some. So what do you reckon to it as an album then? Well, I mean, it's 34 minutes long. Normally, we do about 25 to 30 minutes on a two-minute song. So by my reckoning, this episode's going to be about six and a half hours. Okay, excellent. Well, I uh, I, I might need to pop out for some gin during that. But, uh, you know, as long as we keep the thing recording, it'll all be fine. Yeah, no, it, it's it is an astonishingly short album, isn't it? It's amazing to think it's, it's 14 songs, um, you know, the longest of which is just three minutes um yeah um it's just especially crazy but it's kind of standard for the time and i think it's on when the rolling stones get onto their second album they've got a song on that that's five minutes long and apparently john lennon complained about it being too long which is um which is just quite an incredible thing nobody was doing those long songs at this point and you could kind of understand why because the songwriting is getting better in places but it's still fairly rudimentary these are still people learning their craft as it were and although in general there's a, a bit of a, a step up certainly um you know in my mind the the outstanding lennon mccartney song on the first album would be i saw her standing there whereas maybe here you know you could argue that any of those first three um, it won't be long. All I've got to do and all my loving really pack a bit of a punch. Um, it's still a case that they're only two minutes long and they would probably have died a death if they'd have tried to make them any longer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's it's get in, get your song, get out. It doesn't it doesn't hang around. And that's an approach which is, you know, sustained throughout the entirety of the album. It's very telling that the one song which does just barely scrape over three minutes is also a cover version it's not a lennon mccartney um those first three songs are really terrific though and i think you can see a very clear step up in the in the quality of the songwriting from uh from please please me i do kind of have a theory about this album which is that i think i I kind of think of with the beatles as sort of being the pastiche album um, in the sense that it is an album, I mean, which has, I suppose it does have an overall coherence to it in terms of its style, in terms of its production, in terms of its instrumentation. But I think if you didn't know which songs were Lennon McCartney, or and I suppose one Harrison, and which songs were cover versions, I don't think that you could particularly work it out from just listening to it maybe all my loving stands out a little bit more um but even then not 
that much. It won't be long. It's a great song, but it, it does sound. It's it's just straightforward beat music of the early sixties, and I don't mean that as a criticism at all. Uh, it's it's a terrific song, but it could be recorded by you know you wouldn't be that surprised to discover it was maybe a slightly obscure. Maybe not Motown, but like some like sixties girl group, and they'd like just sparked it up a wee bit. You could you could imagine a maybe a bit doo wop or something on it, um, and I think that's that's true of a lot of those kind of songs. You have uh, "Little Child" uh, followed by "Till There Was You" and "Please, Mister Postman," but it doesn't sound remotely um, kind of out of place with those. It, it's got that same sort of feel to it, um, and then as you work your way sort of through side two. It's kind of the same. The, the the sort of Lennon and McCartney songs become uh, there's only three in any case, but um, you know they become a little bit uh, less. I don't know, not distinctive, but it 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 feels much more like a genre piece um, rather than something which is distinctively of the Beatles. Okay, I'm, I'm I, I sort of suspect that you're mostly basing that on Little Child, which you know I think is um, you know there, there's a point to that. But then, you know, no, not a second time as well. I think very much. Okay, um, but I think I, I think I'm making a mistake by calling it a pastiche. I, actually, I think it's something that is perhaps more about one the cover selection and two the ability of Lennon McCartney to write songs that are authentic. Um, and as I mentioned in a couple of episodes ago, I know actually I think it's when we were doing "I Want to Be Your Man." Um, but there was an episode recently where I mentioned having listened to the first Rolling Stones album. Um, and there there are some um, some um, original songs on there, but there's only one that's listed as Jagger Richards. And it's just so jarring with everything else that's on there. Everything else is that quite serious, straight down the line, you know, um, young white man doing, um, doing the blues. Um, but the one um, Jagger Richards song that's on there just sounds really kind of poppy like it's their attempt to have a go at writing something deliberately poppy because they can't really write those bluesy tracks so i think the fact that, that there's some sort of dare i say cohesion between the uh, the covers and and the beatles tracks actually is just a testament to how darn good these fellas were yeah, perhaps I'm prepared to concede that, that uh, pastiche isn't maybe necessarily the right adjective for it, and and certainly their ability to replicate other genres and particularly McCartney's ability to do that is going to be kind of an ongoing feature of the band. But nevertheless, I still feel that it. I feel they're writing. Maybe maybe a different way of saying it is that I feel that they are writing in other people's idioms rather than necessarily writing in their own. And I think that's I think that's also true of Please Please Me. But I think it's not true of uh, Hard Day's Night. I think this is where that stops. Uh, I mean, obviously, Hard Day's Night is all Lennon-McCartney, so um, there are genre styles in there which aren't necessarily just theirs. Um, but it sounds like a Beatles album, a recording of Beatles songs, whereas this sounds like a recording of songs which some of which the Beatles have written in other people's styles. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely working in other people's idioms and still still working out what it is that makes their own songwriting particularly unique. And again, I don't really mean that as a, as a criticism. Those, those three opening tracks, It Won't Be Long, All I've Got To Do and All My Loving are really incredible songs. And particularly All My Loving, I think is that's kind of the one uh, Lennon-McCartney song on the album that I think does sort of signpost them 
writing a Beatles song rather than uh, a song that the Beatles have written in somebody else's style. It's it's where things are starting to become uh, much more distinctive. We do have that one Harrison song in there as well, but it's hard to draw, I would suggest, much uh, in the way of conclusions from Don't Bother Me. I'd say that's fair. I mean, it's, you know, by, by modern standards, it's, it's patchy. Um, but it is worth remembering that albums weren't, you know, a, a big thing at the time, and they are effectively a means for getting down a lot of songs that were being played live as well. So, you know, there's a familiarity to some of these songs, um, and perhaps that's why on the first day of recording they went for an awful lot of the the cover versions as well because they were ones that they really had ready and um, you know knew how to play and were able just to to get them down. But I think there's 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 a lot of love in this, um, and and I think the fact that they had the balls to open with five of their own songs, including Don't Bother Me, is quite a brave act, especially bearing in mind that of the seven songs on side two, you've got three kind of second-rate Lennon-McCartney songs and four covers. So the first um, first side is their, their statement. This is us, look at us. We're not just developing as a band um, in terms of our songwriting, but look, Rick, we're also showing you that, that there's more than just Lennon McCartney going on here. There's um, um, there's George too, which I think is is quite a, a bold statement, bearing in mind everything else that's that's going on at the time in, in terms of, you know, album sales and the fact that you have songwriters, you know, till Tim Pan Alley, you know, giving bands songs and, you know, other successful bands you know, um, around this time, like the Hollies weren't necessarily doing their own songs. The Rolling Stones, the majority of the Rolling Stones' first album, uh, overwhelming majority uh, are those those bluesy covers. So, you know, they're ahead of the game and, and they're getting better and you can see how they're, they're basically pulling away. Part of that is because of, you know, their songwriting, but also, frankly, the character that they put together in their choice of covers there is again something for everyone you know you can imagine that that you know all bar the most straight laced blues fan finding something of interesting in i don't know maybe um you know money or roll over beethoven maybe at least finding something in there but you've also got the really kind of poppy element of please mr postman or alternatively, you've got, um, you know, the, the kind of like the show tunes um, for the likes of um, Till There Was You. There is something that, that most people will be able to find appealing on this album. And that just takes an incredible amount of um, either luck or nous or, or some combination of the two. So although I'm not a huge fan of the album by my 2022 standards um, and in fact even when I first started listening to it really which would have been in about the mid 80s you can you have to admire it as a really important stepping stone on the way to, to what pop and and rock became it's a real statement oh no I definitely agree about your point um, in terms of that showing them pulling away from the pack I think that's absolutely true I think it's a if I remember rightly it's a point that you made on the episode about money but it was the first song 
that we have uh, from the Beatles, which isn't um, which isn't basically about love in some form or other. It's the first one where there's um, you know a different subject matter. That alone is definitely a a significant signpost in terms of the way that that things are going to go. So yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair. I I think it's also one of those things. I, I you mentioned sort of listening to it from a twenty twenty two perspective, um, listening to it myself. I think it's another one of those ones where listening to it and streaming does it a slight disservice as opposed to listening to it as as it, as it originally would have been on on LP and having a physical break between sides. Listening to it as a streaming album, i.e., fourteen songs all in a row, it's incredibly obvious where the album loses its way, which is Roll Over Beethoven. It just dies at that point. Like there, I, I'm not a massive fan of of Till There Was You, as I think we covered in ample depth during our episode in that particular song. Um, but it feels cohesive. It feel, it, You used that word as well. But I think that's true. I think the first side hangs together really well. And um, I, I would personally say Till There Was You is probably the weakest moment on it, even over Don't Bother Me. Um, but nevertheless, there is a, a sense of everything kind of pulling in the same direction. And then we get to roll over Beethoven. And it just all that momentum is just lost. Even Please Mr. Postman, which isn't... I mean, it's a good cover. It's not stunningly good. It's certainly not in the same league as Money. Um, but it's fine. Lennon's got a good delivery on it. He's got a real um, sense that he's not just kind of taking the pace. He is kind of invested in it, even although it's a slightly, you know, cheesy um, song overall. He, he's, he's, he's giving it, and it's a, it's a great kind of way to round out the first side. And then you flip it over... And you open with a very weak cover, really, of Roll Over Beethoven that Harrison just... I'm sorry, I love Harrison's voice, but he doesn't have the voice for Roll Over Beethoven. It, it needs it needs McCartney going full throttle on it or even Lennon just screaming. Um, mm. But it has that slight air of desperation, like Ringo's hammering away on the, on the hi-hats and the cymbals just to try and give it a bit of energy come on come on everyone come on this is great it's exciting it's full of energy it's full of energy come on come on it's not convincing um and then yeah hold me tight it's not great then you get the killer you know you really got a hold on me then three songs which aren't really up to much and then money it just the album just stops there but if you're listening to it as two separate sides i mean side two doesn't have the same coherence as side one it definitely doesn't but it has a it, it's it's kind of the like you said it's more the cover side um and that's okay there's something there for for most people to enjoy but then listening to seven songs individually is a different experience to listening to seven song uh, 14 songs all at once and listening to it as a stream listening to it all at once it just doesn't do the album any favors at all so it it is just worth bearing in mind how it would originally have been listened to rather than how we are most likely to experience it these days yeah i mean I'd, i would be with you in terms of the um that sense of momentum um i think it is you know it it's really interesting that they went for say you know roll over beethoven on this yeah, because it's it's clearly them wearing their heart on their sleeve in terms of a song that they they love to perform and they knew intimately, um, you know, and 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 that's great. It is one of the the most played uh, songs live, so they really knew it. Mm. But it it kind of falls into the same category for me as something like Long Tall Sally, 
in a sense that it kind of works when they play it live, but it's not one of those songs that you really want to get down on 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 a record because you know it it it's just a bit too jarring with everything else that goes around it. Um, you know, yeah, it, it it seems like it's an homage at that point rather than 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 some sort of deliberate um, evocation of of who they are as artists. But you know. Um, I suppose it's what they wanted to do. I presume it's what they wanted to do. I mean, it is interesting that, you know, they apparently played Long Tall Sally more, but they didn't put that on an album. Um, you know, they did record it, but, um, you know, I just, just sort of think it's interesting. Roll Over Beethoven clearly meant something. They clearly thought that there was some sort of power in it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it, that, that, that we need to, to remember that, Whatever we feel about it, this album sold more than Please Please Me. Which is astonishing. Which which is astonishing. And, you know, that's something we'll return to in 64 when um, Beatles for Sale sells more than, than A Hard Day's Night, which is um, something else that's just absolutely stunning. Um, you know, it's, it's worth you know, putting a little bit of... Um, um, you know, a little bit of background in, of course, the one thing that, that everybody thinks they know about Please Please Me is that it's recorded in about 34 seconds and uh, that John Lennon um, loses his voice at the end. And, you know, um, so the, the take of uh, Twist and Shout is is the one that they had to go with. OK, fair enough. But people then might know that, say, Sergeant Peppers was recorded over, I don't know, about six months or something, and it was the birth of studio recording so on and so forth. Um, but people don't really know much about what's going on in between. And that this album is recorded over several days, but those several days are spread out over several months. So they start recording it in, in the middle of July. Um, you know, they work on the 18th of July and then the 30th of July, but then they're not back recording until September, which is, you know, really odd. But then they were a gigging band. And and I found it interesting looking at um, the kind of gigs they were playing. So, you know, they were recording on the 18th of July, um, but on the 19th of July, they were playing in Rill in North Wales. So, you know, it's just so prosaic that, you know, they're in the studio recording, you've really got hold on me, money, devil in a heart, until there was you. And the next day, they're in North Wales playing a gig where, you know, they may have done two performances, but they're only playing 10 songs. It's just such a fascinating thing. And then um, after the 30th, um, oh, in fact, actually, on the 28th of, of um, July, they're playing in Great Yarmouth um, in East Anglia. 30th, they're in the studio. The 31st, they're playing in a place called Nelson, which I'd never heard of. It turns out it's four miles outside Burnley. Okay, good to you know. know. So, the, you know, the, the schedule is, is quite punishing. Well, it is, and it also speaks to that thing that we've mentioned before, which is that the, at this point, the album is not something which is being given priority. It's not, generally speaking, how bands make their money. It's not, generally speaking, uh, you know, a product which uh, the record companies have much investment in uh, beyond a way beyond it being a way of promoting the artists and particularly promoting sort of touring. That's that's where the money was. That's where the exposure was and getting the band out of the road, uh, getting the band out on the road and getting the band to stay on the road was far more important at this point than, you know, the amount of effort that could be put into an album. But again, even there, 
we start to see uh, the creeping effects of uh, the Beatles' control. We know that they weren't present for mixing in this album. We know that they're not present for, um, you know, any of the kind of technical stuff, for track listing or whatever. But we do start to see things like the cover, for example, which, of course, is now incredibly iconic. Um, but it's very different from the kind of very hasty snap of uh, Please Please Me, the one that George Harrison was famously so scathing of. Um, but, you know, that this album looks like it's a serious package. It's it's very moody, it's black and white, it's kind of, it has artistic implications. It's not just, hey, four cheeky chappies, or, you know, you know, them hanging out in some location somewhere, or, you know, the kind of things that the kind of the Mercy Beat equivalents in, in 1963, early 1964 were kind of doing. No, there's a sense where this is actually... Um, going to be put together as a package. Some thought has been put into the design. You know, there are liner notes with it. It's it's a whole cohesive, again, there's that word again, package. Um, and that kind of, that emergence, that, that again is is the stepping stone. It's, it's the beginning of that process whereby the band are eventually going to take all artistic control over everything they do. And this is where that really starts to have its first manifestation. 14 freshly recorded titles, including many surefire stage show, show favourites, are featured on the two generously filled sides of this record. Yeah, and I didn't say they were good liner notes. <laughs> a successful formula which made the first Please Please Me LP into the fastest selling album of 1963. It's fine. It's it's another form of promotion. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, liner notes of um, kind of... Um, died a death but it is interesting that, that there was that need to introduce um you know so much of it um incidentally that is george martin on piano this time um which is which is quite interesting and money makes a completely worthy climax to this knockout program hope it doesn't <laughs> leave you too breathless to flip back to side one for a repeat play session with the beatles God bless Tony Barrow. Uh, I love liner notes like that. I find them absolutely charming and delightful. They are. It is. It is good fun. Um, yeah, and you kind of feel like you have to say it in a in a very excitable. Oh yeah. Fashion, um, you know, which is fine. Um, you know, it's it's a funny thing actually. Although recorded over several days, they they got most of the songs out of the way in in the first two days. So after that, it's about extra takes and and going over things again, and um, you know, and and then the technical team getting the the edits right. So um, you know, it's just fascinating. There is a little bit of development in terms of the way the album is put together, the amount of time they're allowed to use, but it's still very much a straightforward, um, you know, means of of, of production. Um, I, I sort of think it's it's quite interesting at this point to um, to think about where their contemporaries are um, at this point, because you know the Rolling Stones have started to get mentioned um, on this podcast, and you know understandably because they're starting to be a thing. Obviously, we needed to to mention it when it came to um, I want to be your man. Do 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 do. Um, but you know they are still nascent, I believe you 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 might put it. It's only um, towards the end of September into October and early November that they go on what's regarded as being their first British tour. Through most of '63, 
they are variously playing London clubs, Twickenham, Ilpi Island, clubs in Windsor and Guildford. That seems to be the main basis of it. And when sort of looking down the list of um, venues that they played, there was one that stood out in the middle of 63, which was Middlesbrough. You think, all oh, right. So they finally got outside of um, outside of the home counties. But then, of course, that that sort of transposes quite well with the fact that the Beatles would play so much in the early days in in the Northwest. They had their stamping ground where they knew they could sell out and develop themselves. And and so it's kind of no different with the Stones. But although you say it's their first, you, though I say it's their first British tour, they were very much, you know, quite a way down um, below the Everly Brothers, Bo Diddley and, and Little Richard, understandably. Whereas earlier in 63, when the Beatles were becoming big and they were on tour with Helen Shapiro, you know, towards the end of the tour, actually, they got pulled off the tour because they were coming becoming too big, weren't they? They, they yeah. just got, um, you know, um, hauled off because it wasn't really good for them. But effectively, they were getting more of a reaction um, than poor old Helen Shapiro, um, you know. And then come July of 63, you know, the tour that they're on whilst recording the album is with Roy Orbison, and it seems to be much more of a, you know, an, an equal thing um, in terms of, of prominence at that stage. Um, you know, and, and the Rolling Stones, are, you know, they, they, they don't enter the, the studio themselves until the following year to, to record their album, but they clearly have got big enough to be really, really successful because their first album is the album that knocks with the Beatles off number one and then stays there for about another 10, 11 weeks. In fact, it's then the Beatles that knock uh, the Rolling Stones album off number one with um, with A Hard Day's Night, and then it's Beatles for Sale, I think, that knocks A Hard Day's Night off number one. You know, So in the whole of 64, I think you have four albums only that reach the number one spot in the UK. So, you know, we are seeing an explosion, and we are obviously seeing the Beatles at the forefront of it, and and maybe they're the ones that have just sort of burst through and the others follow in their wake. And and if you start having a look at the charts around the time, that um, especially the, the top uh, places in the album charts, you'll see the likes of um, the Hollies and the Dave Clark Five, uh, for example, having, you know, pretty successful runs in the in, you know, in the top five and hanging around for quite a while. And then, you know, the shadows, um, you know, um, are, are selling lots and, and start to, you know, um, you know, take the place, of, you know, five, four, three. Um, and so it's interesting that you are getting lots more different artists releasing albums and successful albums. But you just have to keep pointing back to the fact that it's the Beatles that have led the way. They have done things that have been so influential that the template has been used in some way, um, copied perhaps. Um, and that's why, you know, you sort of suspect that whilst other people have been successful, no one has, no one's managed to surpass it. Um, certainly, you know, 63, 64, um, you know, the only, the only album throughout the 60s, the whole of the 60s, that seems to threaten the dominance of the Beatles is The Sound of Bloody Music. <laughs> well quite um and i mean yeah i mean obviously you're right in terms of the their, their breakthrough and everything following in the wake but i mean even beyond 
individual bands like the Stones, it's it's worth pointing out that, you know, basically the entirety of Mercy Beat, a genre I know I have been very dismissive of in the past and will continue to be so uh, in the future, but that entire genre is basically predicated on the idea, um, what if the Beatles but others? And, you know, it's not just other bands. There's an entire musical genre which essentially develops out of um, Please Please Me and, and with the Beatles. And so many of those bands... Are, are are ones which are, are you know still recognized today I, I may not have particularly high regard for Dave Clark Five or Jerry and the Pacemakers but you know they're not obscure they're not bands that have you know fed it faded away and even kind of the second stringers like Freddie and the Dreamers are not you know completely forgotten either that that's an entire musical subgenre which exists basically entirely off the back of of the Beatles first two albums well the, I mean the Dave Clark Five have two songs and that's it and they are two well, okay, one great song and one not bad song. <laughs> Glad All Over is is just phenomenal. Bits and pieces, yeah, it's okay. Not so much. Um, you know, um, Spencer Davis Group have got Keep On Running. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, you, you can sort of point to um, successes. Um, you know, Fred in the Dreamers, I can never remember whether it's, you know, How Do You Do It or I Like It or... I like how you do it or how do you like it or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's something in there. We've discussed them before. I think you, you were made for me. Oh, was it? Let's see. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not proud of knowing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it is what it is, isn't it? Um, but, um, you know, I, I think we, we need to, to just sort of reflect on the fact that, that there were not just some very unsuccessful, um, um, Mersey, there were people perhaps who thought they were going to follow in the wake of the Beatles, who maybe had the excitement and thinking, oh, well, you know, we're as good as, or we were on the same bill, or we sell out the cavern as well, who were clearly never going to make it because by all accounts, the Beatles had that that little bit extra. And, and you know, have you ever read about what happened to um, Rory Storm, for example? Um, I don't think so. It died pretty young i think he died in his his 40s um and apparently ringo kept offering to pay for him to go into the recording studio and record whatever he wanted um and he wouldn't do it you know apparently he um he liked um running with the local running club and going to liverpool football matches too much to want to to move away from liverpool to try to be successful although apparently he did have some time i think in spain and amsterdam as as a DJ, um, and and I think he died of an overdose. Um, whether or not it was deliberate, I don't know. Um, but so the story goes that his mum, because he was at his uh, mum's house, I think he had um, you know an, an illness anyway. Um, um, that his mum was so distraught that she took her own life. So when his body was found, her body was found too. All right. And you, you just sort of think of the, the you know, because when you, you hear the story about the Beatles early days, you obviously hear about how successful Rory Storm and Hurricanes were. You know, what an amazing band they were, how, you know, the Beatles were looking up to them, for example, for a while. Um, but actually, sometimes people don't outgrow their area. And, and the Beatles clearly did. I mean, you know, by all accounts these days, you can barely walk around a postcode in, in Liverpool without, you know, touching on something Beatles related. And actually, we've kind of reached the point now 
where the Beatles don't really go back to Liverpool very much. You know, the influence that it's had on them is is there, and they'll they'll have their nostalgia phase phase a little bit later on as well. Obviously, with uh, Strawberry Fields and and Penny Lane, but they're now a lot more firmly rooted and and setting roots down in London. You know, when it comes to talking about a hard day's night, we'll then probably start talking about you know um jane asher and cavendish square and 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 those sorts of things um so they were able to leave you know to take the influence of liverpool and to take the influence that it may have had in terms of the you know nems and you know the docks and the record collections and you know all of those sorts of things that we've spoken about but then turn it into something else in a way that those other bands couldn't always living in 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 the shadow of the Beatles and always destined to live in the shadow of the Beatles my god how did we go down this road <laughs> I don't know but I'm glad that we did because I think it's I think it is a really important point and it is the thing that makes them unique it is the thing that makes them so much more than the other bands and that's not again I know I'm dismissive of mostly Beatles as a genre but that's not really meant to be as as pejorative as sometimes I, I I maybe come across because you know there's a reason that that the Beatles made it and and those bands didn't as as you say and you know I mean Mercy Beat or or Beat Music is is destined to go on for maybe three or four years it's pretty much done by sort of sixty six sixty seven and and those bands never quite managed to get the the creative development let's say to to move into to other genres or to find um to find genres of their own to explore and and exploit and you know that is for for whatever one might or might not think of them that is one of the things that the stones were able to achieve you know they were able to filter blues music through their kind of own white middle class background and come up with something which wasn't really blues music exactly but was also just it was like rolling stones music and that's that was their catch that was their hook but it's also for all that they have their kind of origins of songwriting you know inevitably and and sort of irreducibly intertwined with Lennon and McCartney it's the thing that made them them you know they developed their own songwriting they developed their own style they pretty much developed their own genre and it's 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 emergent from the blues scene it's emergent from you know like um Spencer Davis and a bunch of other stuff um it's emergent from you know their very name which is you know obviously Muddy Waters um but it's kind of distinctively them. It's not, they don't really sound like a blues band. They just sound like the Rolling Stones. And sometimes they will be following in the Beatles' wake. Um, sometimes they might be slightly ahead. And by the time, you know, we get to sort of let it bleed and, and sticky fingers, then then they're they're pretty much out ahead at that point as, as the Beatles wind down. But, you know, it's them. And the Kinks will do the same. And the, those bands which will go on, to be um, the strongest influencers in the British music scene are able to escape um, both the trappings of, of where they come from and and of their kind of genre origins. And, and that's the thing that really makes them stand apart. It's, yeah, and I, I think we need to remember um, that a lot is spoken about the 60s, but it is a period of monumental change. The decade ends with Abbey Road at number one. It starts with Freddie Cannon and the explosive Freddie Cannon. <laughs> you know, who's, who's just a footnote in history. Also at number one in um, 1960 is 101 Strings, 
down Drury Lane to Memory Lane. You know, and, and even then, you know, um, throughout 61 and 62, there are some weird, now you would see some weird things. There's quite a few Elvis albums. Okay, that's fine. Cliff Richard, The Shadows, Cliff Richard and The Shadows. But also for quite a bit of time in 61 and 62, the Black and White Minstrel Show, you know, on stage with George, the George Minstre Mitchell Minstrels, the Black and White Minstrel Show. And, um, you know, there's another Black and White Minstrel Show. So three different Black and White Minstrel Show albums reached number one in that period. Um, and the biggest selling album of 62 is West Side Story. Well, West Side Story is still hanging around in the top five throughout 63 and 64 as well. So the period where um, um, with the Beatles is number one. West Side Story is pretty much in the top five for that whole period as well. It's really, really bizarre. But we go from that, you know, sort of the best of Ball, Barber and Bilk and West Side Story and the Shadows and, and the Black and White Minstrel Show, then down to something that represents, you know, something a little bit more familiar. And then with the Beatles takes over from, of course, Please Please Me, which takes over from Summer Holiday. And if people are going to say anything about um, Cliff Richard, they might know about Living Doll uh, and the young ones. But then, of course, the other one they'll know is Summer Holiday. So they might think of Cliff at his peak. But actually, it's not so much Cliff at his peak as Cliff, I suppose, kind of jumping the shark at that point. The Beatles take over and he does not get a look in again for a long time. And in fact, his, you know, he's pretty much from credibility point of view, a busted flush from that stage on. But the Beatles take over from the Beatles. And the number two record for most of the time that with the Beatles is number one, it's Please Please Me. You know, it enters the chart at number two. And then one week later, it takes over and then it doesn't let go until the end of April, when finally the Rolling Stones album has worked up enough momentum to make it to, to number one. And that's such a fascinating thing. And then after 12, it's 12 weeks, actually, the Rolling Stones being number one, the Beatles are back. And after 21 weeks of a hard day's night, well, the Beatles are back. And it's just fascinating that from all of that sort of entertainment side of things, we've now got this pop and rock industry that have started to set the tone to the point where, OK, so The Sound of Music is crazily the biggest selling album of apparently 65, 66 and 1968. Work that one out. Oh, well, I, can, um, I think I can guess why not 67. <laughs> well, yeah, there is something else going on in 67. But you are able to look down and see that, you know, in, in 68, Scott Walker has a number one. The Small Faces have a number one album. Tom Jones, Simon and Garfunkel. You know, it, it's just sort of fascinating that the, the change um, is just absolutely incredible and so much of it is down to um the path that the Beatles lead now this album comes out I'm going to have a little quiz for you okay oh, this God. album is released um I think the 22nd of November 1963 um that night the Beatles are playing live in Stockton on Tees in the northeast of England they have a 10 song set five of those songs are from with the Beatles which five Oh, well, that's a good question. So, uh, let me have a thing. Which five? So, I'm going to go with money. I'm not saying anything yet. Okay. 
Um, I reckon money. Um, till there was you. Two uh, guesses. Okay. Um, oh, I want to be your man. Uh, roll over Beethoven and uh, I don't know. Um. Uh, 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 please, Mr. Postman. Three out of five. All right, that's not three too out. bad. All right, go on, give that's us the give good. us the stats. Okay, and and it occurs to me, of course, that that we we've, we've sort of discussed on a lot of these whether or not they were ever played live. So you could have been able to narrow it down. So all my loving. Okay. Yeah. You've really got a hold on me. Okay. That 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 was an obvious one. I think you missed. Yeah. Uh, roll over Beethoven till there was you and money. Okay. Wow. And actually, if you kind of look in in the set lists for around that time, again, assuming they're accurate, um, they seem to be playing the same 10 songs most nights. And it's only then a little later on when um, it seems like I want to be your man makes it. And I've got a funny feeling it's almost sort of coincides with when the Rolling Stones were having a hit with I want to be your man a little bit later in the year that Mm. then they start playing it themselves. So what were the other five then? I don't know. I didn't write that down. <laughs> You're talking about this album. It wasn't relevant. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Question retracted. All right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I would have. I would have assumed I want to be your man would have been in there. But yeah, like you say, maybe maybe not until the Stones got their hands on it and then they uh, they had reason to make the mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, this is. You know, we, we've sort of said this before about some of the the songs. You know, they are stepping stones, aren't they? They they are, you know, a means to get from where they started to to where they're going to end up. And and I think, um, you know, the fact that we're seeing the the end of the girl group covers, I think the fact that we're we're seeing them still paying their dues, but that their own songwriting is starting to develop, is is important. We're seeing the range being really broad. We're kind of pointing, you know, all points towards where where the Beatles are going to go. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's both kind of a bit turgid in places, but also a fascinating portrait of, um, um, you know, what we're going to be talking about in in the coming weeks, months, years, possibly even decades. Well, maybe not decades. Uh, no, I mean I, I completely agree, and I think that's a I think that's kind of an excellent summary of the whole thing. It it it's yeah, it's kind of what I was aiming for. Yeah, really. I got that. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, it gives me the opportunity to uh, to then step lightly forward on my delicate little twinkle toes and ask you what score you would like for it. Oh, are we scoring the albums? As yeah, well? yeah, we're scoring uh, the albums as well. Right. Gosh. Okay. Um, well, I suppose overall, yeah, you know, you'd you'd you if you're doing it like that, you're going to have to sort of bear in mind what's still to come and so you know pepper revolver um you know you'd probably then say i don't know is it a six out of ten for the beatles it's a six out of ten for everybody else it's probably you know a little bit better than that well well, you're gonna give it six all right that seems perfectly reasonable i think um well, actually, this is a slightly tough one because I don't think this is as good an album as uh, Please Please Me. But I think the highs on this album are probably higher than the highs on Please Please Me. Um, so what did I give Please Please I gave Please Please Me six. I think I'll give this five and a half then. That's what I'm going to go with. 
That seems fair. I do think this is a slight step down, but it is fairly slight. So I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy that you're happy. And I'm happy that you're happy that I'm happy. And I'm also going to end this episode here. Yeah. So um, fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Uh, also check out my other podcast, if you would be so kind, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert, which is apparently me, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we have one of the biggies. It's I Want to Hold Your Hand. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.